has spoken to us this morning as we've been in worship together. And I'd love us to be cognizant of that and to hold that, um, not to forget that. Just a, a note to any of the parents who are here with us, um, Jolene and Linda will be um, playing a movie for the kids in the North Hall, so if you would like your kids to be there, you're welcome to, to lead them through there now, or let, let them through there, um, or they're welcome to stay with us, it's up to you. All right. If you haven't met me before, just by the way, my name is Brad, I'm one of the pastors here at Connect, and uh, it's great to be with you. I'm off in Musenberg this time of the morning. But uh, we're going to continue in our series in Mark's Gospel this morning. And uh, we're going to speak about how Jesus speaks in parables. This is a significant part of how Jesus does ministry. And uh, so we're going to take some time to look at that this morning. If you're joining us for the first time, you're, you're still early on in the series. Howard did the intro two weeks ago. Spoke about the nature of Mark and his gospel and the role of John the Baptist. And then last week, John Abramson shared Jesus' model of discipleship with us from John uh, from Mark chapter 1. And uh, so today we're going to pick up some, some parables and the way Jesus speaks in parables. And I want to start with just uh, a little bit of a segue into why Jesus spoke in parables. Because this is something that's going to come up in the text as we read it this morning. But it's not going to be something that we're going to have time to dig into and unpack. And so I think it's just worth saying this up front. Jesus actually, he's, he's a bit unusual in the reason he speaks in parables. I used to think it was because he wanted to communicate in stories in ways that were easily accessible to people with um, concepts that they were familiar with that it would help people to understand. But ironically, Jesus actually speaks in parables because he says that there are some people that it is given to understand the principles of the kingdom of heaven and to some people that those principles need to be veiled. And so he speaks in parables to kind of obscure the truth in some ways. A parable in, in that way stands as a bit of a test for those who have genuinely decided to follow Jesus, who will see that parable and understand its meaning, and those who are outside of that, and it will remain uncertain. So you're, you're going to see that as we go into the text this morning. If you want to chat more about that, please come find me afterwards. We can do that. We can get a whole message on the sovereignty of God and how He chose to reveal it. But uh, we're not going to do that this morning. We're going to read from Mark chapter 1 from verses 20, from 1 to 21, 25, sorry. And uh, this is one of Jesus' most famous parables. This is probably one that all of you know very well. It's the parable Jesus considers to be foremost among all of the parables that he tells, of which there are, I think, close to 40. This is the parable of the sower. And I must be honest, as I was reading through the, the text um, that I had and how it said I could preach anywhere from Mark chapter 2 to chapter 4. And I was reading through and I was asking God what I needed to speak on. I was a little bit reluctant to speak on this parable because it's a parable that we all know so well. Actually, I was convinced I'd preached on it before, but I trolled through all my previous messages and I couldn't find anything. But as I was studying it, God, God said to me, Brad, you, we know the words of this parable really well, but you haven't yet mastered the teaching it contains. And as a church, I think there is, there is a word from God in a, for us this morning about God's word in this parable. And so I'd love to invite us to, to just yeah, allow God to share that with us this morning. So let's read it together and we're going to pick it up from there. If you want to follow along, Mark chapter 4, 1 to 25, it will be on the screen. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat on it out in the lake while all the people were along the water's edge. And he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, listen, 
A, father went, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plant so that it did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now when he was alone, the 12 and others around him asked him about the parables and he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, ever hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word, and some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others like seed sown on rocky places, they hear the word, and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things, they come in and they choke the word and they make it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, they hear the word and they accept it and they produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And he said to them, do you bring a lamp Do you bring in a lamp to put under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. And consider carefully what you hear, he continued, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. That's our passage for this morning. These are the words that Jesus spoke now almost 2,000 years ago. And when he spoke them in Palestine, these were strong words. They were words of warning. In some cases, they were words of condemnation. And they were also words of encouragement. I think today they carry a similar force for us today. And they still speak with incredible power. We're going to look at this parable in, in a particular way this morning, I want to start this. There's three invitations that Jesus gives in this parable that I believe create a framework for helping us recognize why he tells this parable and what we are to do with it. We're going to look at the frame first. Then we're going to, we're going to look at the content of the parable. We're going to talk about the four different soils. And finally, we're going to land and, and ask why is Jesus tagged on this unusual story about a lamp to this parable. All right, so that's where we're going to go. That's how we're going to do it. Let's start by, by talking about those three invitations, the frame that Jesus creates. He says multiple times to his audience, he calls them to a particular action. He begins this parable in verses 2 and 3, and he says this. He calls them to listen. There's this idea. He taught with many things in his teaching, and he said, listen, hearken to me. That's what the Greek means. Come, gather around and listen. I'm about to share something that's going to be important. 
What's interesting about that word, listen, is it doesn't exist in any of the other three accounts of this parable. It only exists here in Mark. It's an invitation to pay attention to what's about to be said. And then the second invitation comes in verse 9 and verse 23, where, where just after Jesus has shared the narrative, the actual parable of the sower, and just after he's explained the parable of the sower, he makes this statement. He says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And then immediately after saying that, he offers this final invitation, even a warning perhaps. He says, now I want you to consider carefully what you hear. Verse 24, you can put that up, Elaine. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Four times in the recounting of this parable, Jesus tells his audience to listen, to hear, and to consider carefully what he has been saying. In addition, I wonder if you notice this, but as he's recounting the story of the parable and he begins to explain it, every person that is represented by a seed is said to have heard the word. The seed that lands on the path is heard, but immediately after it's heard, it's stolen away. The seed that lands in the rocky ground is heard, and it grows up immediately with joy, but then it withers. The guy who who's, has weeds in his life, the seed that lands amongst the weeds, it's heard, it's received, it begins to grow, but it's choked. And the guy whose life is described as the bountiful harvest, the seed lands in good soil, it is heard. Of all of those four categories of people that are represented, Jesus says only one of them bears fruit. All heard. Only one in four produced fruit. Jesus called people to listen, to really pay attention. He doesn't just, Mark doesn't just use this as a rhetorical device to frame a story. This is the call of Jesus to genuinely pay attention to His Word. His Word because it is the Word of God. And it is given to us to digest it, to internalize it, and then to live it out. Jesus calls us to listen four times because He knows that we have a default position where we feel like we don't need to where we feel like, you know what, I, I kind of heard this story before. I, I know what's in it. Uh, I'm actually probably okay. I feel like, you know, Jesus and I are, are really doing quite well at the moment. I, I feel like I'm being quite obedient to Him, so I'm sure I don't need any additional instruction. As we dig into what Jesus has said this morning, words that on the surface we know very well, I want to encourage you to genuinely allow God's words to come in, to, to listen to them. And to, to say to God, God, is there something I need to hear from you this morning? Is there something that I need to do in light of what you have said this morning? It's been a practice that God has called me to put into place in my life. Wherever I encounter the Word of God, say, if God has said this, what am I going to do about it? I want to pause for a moment and just pray for us as we go into unpacking what Jesus has said, that we would do just that, that we would allow our, ourselves to respond and to really receive and to hear what Jesus has to say. Not what I have to say, but what Jesus says. Thank you, God. Thank you that your word is living and it is active, that it separates between soul, spirit, bone, marrow, that it is able to cut right to the heart, that it is, that it is the definition of truth, and that it is spoken forth by you. 
Thank you that we have it preserved for us in the Scriptures. And I pray for us, Lord, as we, as we read your Word together this morning, that you would speak it into us, that we would receive it, and that we would choose to live it out. We ask for your help in that by the Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's talk about the four different soils that Jesus speaks about in this parable. And, and I want to start by saying, you know, I, I've read this parable numerous times. I thought I knew it quite well. And as I was studying it, I began to recognize that there had been an assumption in me that, that I think was actually quite unhelpful. I think in some ways it was even wrong. And the assumption was this, that the, that the soils that Jesus speaks about are like four different responses that people can have to the Word of God. There are four different responses, but I, I really think Jesus speaks about those, our response to His Word in the frame that He creates in the call to listen. But when He is speaking in the parable itself, I think He's speaking more generally about the lives of people in general. He's saying, you know, I want you to know if you're going to follow me, you're going to encounter opposition in your Christian life. There is an enemy who exists who is against you. You're going to encounter persecution in your Christian life, and the depth of your faith and your trust in God is going to be tested. I want you to know that there are obstacles in your life that hinder what I'm trying to do in you and the ability of my word to produce fruit in your life. I want you to know what they are, and I want you to root them out. And as I began to recognize this, I realized, you know what, we can actually fit any combination of all four of those soils at any one time in our lives. And so I want to encourage you as we dig a little deeper into these, this kind of, these metaphors that Jesus gives us to recognize what He might be calling out of you in your life, and what you might need to actually do about that. So let's start with the first, the first soil, the seed that falls beside the path. Right? Remember Jesus said this, he says, A farmer went out to sow, as he was scattering seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So what does Jesus mean by this? What does he mean that, we, that as soon as people hear the word, that Satan comes and steals that word away? I think what Jesus is doing is he's letting us into the reality of the spiritual battle that goes on all around us. I also thought it was interesting he decides to mention that one first. Now, we talk about spiritual warfare a fair amount here. Connect John spoke this morning about the starting of a deliverance team, right? Because we believe in the reality of the spiritual realms. We believe that there are demonic forces that exist and they interact in our lives. And we could spend a long time, many of you are familiar with Ephesians chapter 3 or the Living Free course that we talk about where we unpack these things a little bit more deeply. And I just want to make a couple of observations this morning, particularly in light of the context that Jesus speaks about here. The enemy hates the people of God living in the truth of God. That, that is for him the worst possible thing because then we begin to act and live like Jesus. And so there is a battle for the Word of God, a spiritual battle. One of Satan's primary descriptors, one of his names is he's known as the deceiver. Remember in John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and insulting them nicely, telling them that they're sons of the devil. And then he says to them, and in him there is no truth whatsoever. He is the father of lies. And no truth is found in him. 
That's who he is. Remember Jesus' baptism. This, is, this like is, a, is a great example of how the enemy begins to do this. Right? Jesus is baptized. He comes up out of the water. A light shines down from heaven. A dove flies down, lands on his shoulder, and this huge heavenly voice booms down from the sky. This is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. That's like the best revelation God is ever going to give you. I don't know what your quiet times are like. Right? But if God speaks to you like that, it's significant. Immediately after receiving that revelation, it's, we're told that Jesus is led or driven into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted. And he goes into the wilderness and he spends 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And as he is there, the enemy appears to him and begins to tempt him. Do you know how he starts his temptation each time? If you are the Son of God. Turn the stone to bread. If you are the Son of God, leap off the temple and the angels will catch you. The revelation that God has just given to Jesus is directly the thing that the enemy questions. God has just said, you're my son. The enemy says, if you're his son, remember the Garden of Eden? Did God really say? The enemy's job is to question and to twist and to distort the truth that God gives us. Spiritual warfare is first and foremost, it's a battle for truth. It's a battle for what we believe to be true. Paul tells the Romans, you need to be transformed by the renewing of your minds. He tells the Corinthians to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ because that's the first place we encounter spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is ultimately a truth encounter, not a power encounter. Jesus is always more powerful than the enemy. It's just what we believe. So his warning to us here as he starts this thing is he says, you need to know that there is an enemy out there who prowls around like a roaring lion. He's looking for someone to devour. And whenever you have the opportunity to hear and to receive the word of God, the enemy is looking to steal it. That means when you're at home and you're having your quiet time and you're reading the scriptures by yourself, or when you're in your car and you're listening to a podcast, or you're listening to an audio Bible, or you're sitting in church, or you're sitting in your Bible study, and we're talking about the Scriptures, and the Scriptures are being read. Every time that happens, there is an opportunity where the enemy wants to come and to steal the truth away from God's people, because he doesn't want you to have it. He doesn't want you to believe it. We don't read the Word of God. We don't hear the Word of God in a spiritual vacuum. Jesus is warning us to God, to God the Word. That's the first soil. The second soil Jesus speaks about is, is rocky ground. Right? Here are his words again. Some seed, he says, fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched and they withered because they didn't have a root. Or later he says, others like seeds sown in rocky places, they hear the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And I find this category really interesting because I think every time I've read this parable, there's a tendency that exists in me to self-exclude myself from these people, right? 
What? Fall away? I mean, I'm, I'm here. I'm in church. I'm serving in the church. I'm part of a life group. That's not me. I think this is a description that's really difficult to see in ourselves, especially because when you look at the initial reaction, it looks good. You've received the word. There's a joy. There's a rejoicing at hearing the word of God, responding to it. It takes a real ability. It takes the, the grace of God for us to be able to look in and to see, hold on, is that still the case? There's a song that came to mind as I was looking at this by a band called Casting Crown. Some of you will know them. Some of you will remember the song. The song is called Slow Fade. And the chorus goes like this. It says, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white turn to gray. Where thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. Because people never crumble in a day. People never crumble in a day. See, Jesus is, is warning us here. He's, he's reminding us that it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. It's great that you start with joy, but what's going to happen from there? How are your foundations looking? Because he makes these two observations. He says that it is because my people are not rooted that they will fall away. And that that circumstance, that falling away is precipitated by the coming of trouble and persecution. And so I read that and I was like, Lord, what do you mean by have no root? Because unfortunately Jesus doesn't include that in his explanation. I think there, there are many things that it, it has the potential to mean. But I think at the heart of them all was this idea that Jesus is speaking about a deep recognition and an appreciation of who he is. To be truly rooted is to know and to be convinced, both in our minds and in our hearts and in our experience, that Jesus really is the Lord God Almighty, that He truly lives and reigns in heaven, that He is the author and the sustainer of all creation, that He alone is unique among everything that exists, and to Him alone is due worship and devotion. That when He speaks, His words are the words of God, and they constitute the very definition of what is true. He's speaking to his disciples, and as John told us last week, this is reasonably early on in their discipleship journey. But I believe all of those disciples are on a journey of discovering who Jesus is. Right? And he's constantly telling them to, you know, to, to dig deeper into their faith until eventually Peter has this revelation that you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, you're the one that's come from God. And then a few moments later, he then like, doesn't understand that Jesus now has to go and die. They, they're on this journey of discovering who Jesus is, but they eventually they get it because if you look at the lives of all the disciples, all 11 plus, um, oh, who's the last guy I was at? Apollos, no? I can't remember. <laughs> I read. Matthias, thank you. There we go, right? All of them, if you read the books of church history, all of them were tortured. 11 of them were martyred. And John, they tried to martyr, but he was boiled alive in oil and didn't die. So they left him on an island. You don't endure that unless you really know who Jesus is. Unless you believe in the depths of your heart that he is the risen king of glory. And that his words are worth more than anything else. Jesus says if we don't have this root in us, then when trouble arises... 
things are going to go badly. I love the word, the Greek word for trouble. It means here to, to the building up of an internal pressure because you, you're hemmed in. There's no avenue of escape. How many of you watch Star Wars? All right, just, just a couple. All right. There's a great scene in Star Wars that I think illustrates this so well. When they get caught in the trash compactor and the walls begin to close and there's nowhere for them to go. And they try as best as possible to brace the walls, but it doesn't happen. Right? There's this building up of pressure. What, what happens when we, we can't tell people what we believe about Jesus anymore, what we believe about them anymore, because it's beginning to get awkward. Because it's now society is beginning to curtail what we're allowed to say. Jesus says trouble or persecution. And again, this, this is so descriptive in the Greek. It means to hunt someone down like an animal. I thought that was so graphic. Have any of you followed the Israel Falau saga? He's a rugby player for Australia, very famous rugby player, one of the best rugby players that Australia have had in a long time. He decided to share on his social media feed a paraphrase of a scripture in 1 Corinthians, which spoke about the problems that, that people will face judgment if they don't find Jesus. And Paul lists a collection of sins that are outside the kingdom of God. He shared that on his social media page. He was fired as a result. And so he appealed the decision of Rugby Australia to fire him, and he needed to go through a legal process. That court process was going to be very expensive. It was going to cost just under $3 million. So he started a GoFundMe page. Some of you will be familiar with GoFundMe. It's a page you can create which allows other people around the world to support you in a cause or an endeavor that you're in because you can't do it yourself. So he started a GoFundMe page, and people rallied around him, and he raised $2.2 million until the GoFundMe company decided that to protect yourself from being persecuted by Rugby Australia is not a legitimate cause, and they closed his page. Currently, the South African government is looking to create control over what ministers are able to say in churches. There are bills that are sitting before committees that we as a church have already submitted comments on because this issue is coming to South Africa. We've already seen, and you've seen in the media, people getting fired for things that they've said on their social media accounts. What happens when that happens to us because of what we say about Jesus? Are we going to be ready? Do we have the roots to endure that? Jesus said it's a slow fade from joy to falling away, but there's time for us now to shore up the foundation, to dig the roots, to dig into Jesus. So I don't want us to get 10 years down the road and suddenly trouble and persecution arise and we, we find ourselves on the fringe, on the outside, and we think to ourselves, what happens? I remember I used to be there. What happens? And I wonder, I wonder if you had to take a moment and reflect on this because the first time I read this story, I was a new Christian. I, I hadn't really had a journey of experience in faith. And so everything that Jesus was saying was about what would happen. And what was still yet to be a part of my life. And as I was reading it in preparing for this message, I realized as I look back over 15 years of faith, and many of you have got much longer journeys than that, how many people started this journey with me? And how many of them are not here anymore? How many of them received the Word of God with joy and yet have fallen away? 
because they had no roots. Jesus' call to us is to make sure that our roots are secure, that they're founded in Him. Third soil. He speaks about one that's full of weeds or one that's full of thorns, right? Jesus said, another other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plant so that they would not bear grain. Still others like seed fell among the thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things, they came in and they choke the word and they make it unfruitful. Oh, man, these words are so powerful. They're so insightful. I think they, they so aptly describe the human condition. And, and you know, they, they were quite scary for me in some ways because the first two situations I don't know, they, the first one, the enemy kind of steals and you might not even know that it's been stolen and so you just have to carry on and hope that God helps you again. Um, the second one, you can see the person, the person falls away. That's a terrible thing, but, you know, we kind of self-exclude from that, which we shouldn't. But this third category was scary for me because, you know, the seed lands in the soil and it goes into the soil and it begins to grow and it rises up and it's a young little plant but it doesn't grow alone. And alongside it, other plants are cultivated and watered and nurtured so that it never gets enough sunlight or it never gets enough water or it never gets enough nutrients and it never becomes mature. It never bears fruit. You know, when I was growing up, we had two lemon trees in our back garden, both of which were frustrating in stopping the ball that I would hit in cricket reaching the boundary. The one lemon tree, the one on the left, gave us lots of lemons every year. It was great. The lemon tree on the right, though, just never, ever, ever gave us a lemon. Not once. You know what we did to that tree? Got cut down. And that, that scares me. Like, it, it would be a terrible thing to be a disciple, and yet there is no fruit Jesus says there are three enemies that seek to make the Word of God unfruitful in your life. They are the worries or the concerns or the things that we are worried about in this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and our desire for stuff. And each of these, if you continue to read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus addresses each of these in a little sermonette of its own. And so we'll just speak briefly into them this morning. But I think each of these ideas has never been more applicable to an audience than they are to us as Western Christians right now. Our society, Western society, is seeing record high levels of anxiety and depression like we've never seen before. We are more anxious and concerned. People are emigrating more and more and more. You, Rick shared what the stats are like of life expectancy in Mitchell's plan of the stuff that's going on. That affects us. That scares us, and the pe many people that can are leaving because we're worried, we're concerned. In our society today, it is expected, it's encouraged in the world around us to place our trust in well-invested money. The more you have, the better off you will be. That's a good retirement strategy. It's important to invest, but we, our trust is, we need to make sure that we place enough money up because it's in the finances that we have stored up that we we have our trust. We have our security. I don't think the world has ever had as much stuff or as much marketing for stuff as we have today. 
We can't get enough of it. And Jesus warns us. He says, guys, you need to watch out. You need to be alert because if you cultivate these things in your life, they will make the Word of God fail to bear fruit. And God will speak, and it will land in your soil, and it will begin to grow, but it will never bear the fruit God intended it to bear. Each one has an opposite in the kingdom. Instead of worry, we're called to rest because our God ultimately reigns and is in control. Instead of trusting in wealth for our well-being, we know that we have a creator who loves us and is faithful to provide for our every need. Instead of lusting after the dreams and the ideas of the world, we need to learn contentment at the hands of our Father. You know, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, a very high-quality, mature Christian friend the other day. He's been journeying with the Lord a lot longer than I have. He said to me, Brad, I can see how complacent I have become. I can literally see what Cape Town has done to me. I used to be on fire. I used to see people getting saved every day. I'm just not seeing it anymore. And I know this is, this is quite hectic, but are we willing to let God ask us those questions? Are we willing to let God search us and search the, the things, the worries and the, the stuff and the, tr- the deceitfulness of wealth? Are we willing to allow God to call the weeds out of our life? The stuff that might be there that's causing His Word to be unfruitful. We cannot do it and we can carry on. But if we really want to bear fruit, we've got to allow God to call those things out. Depends what kind of soil we want to be. Because finally... Finally, we get to land in the good stuff. Jesus says there is, there is a person, there is a soil, there is a life that bears much fruit. Some seed, he says, fell on the good soil and it grew up. It produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, or 100 times. Others like seed on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, and it produces a crop of 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. This is the promise of Jesus to us at the end. He says, if you defend the Word of God from the enemy, if you protect it, if you make sure that it is rooted in the reality of a living God, if you protect it from the weeds of this world and you fail to cultivate those things in your life, then that which God has implanted in you will yield a supernatural harvest far beyond what was originally sown. In early Palestine, if you had a good crop, you got a yield of five to ten times what you'd planted. That was a good year. If you got 30 times, that was a great year. You didn't get 100 yields. That, That just didn't happen. It was supernatural. It was beyond what could happen. God's promise to us is if we faithfully cultivate His Word in our life, then what He will do for us is abundantly above and beyond anything else the world would give us. That's the promise of God about the power of His Word. And that's just about where we're going to land for this morning. And I want to give you one closing thought, this, this idea after the parable that Jesus now tells a story about a lamp in the house, and I think the two are connected together for a reason. He says, do you bring a lamp into the house and put it under a bowl or under the bed? Don't you rather put it on the stand? 
For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed. Whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Elaine, you can put the next slide up. I think this story is Jesus' way of telling us that a, a lamp has a purpose. The lamp's purpose is to give light. In the same way, the purpose of the Word of God is for the disciples of the kingdom to bear fruit and for them to disclose the, the Word of God to others. That's the purpose of the Word of God. Just as a lamp that is placed under a bowl serves no purpose, so too a disciple that does not bear fruit, nor display, nor disclose the kingdom of God also serves no purpose. Jesus didn't intend to have fruitless disciples. He desired us to be seed that bears much fruit. So we need to be cultivating God's Word. We need to be displaying it and disclosing the kingdom of God to others. That's our purpose. It's what Jesus intended. It's why He bothered to speak. It's why He made sure that these words were recorded for us, so that they could shape us and mold us and bring us into being the disciples that He desires us to be. So I'm going to close now and want to just create for us a space of contemplation and I'd love to encourage you just to close your eyes and to invite the Holy Spirit to search you and to say, Lord, is there something that I need to see? Is there something you're calling out of me? Is there something I maybe even need to do in light of what you're saying? Maybe there's repentance that needs to take place. Where God is beginning to show you something. Maybe he's been showing you that as I've been speaking. Maybe he's going to do that now. But I want to just, let's take some time to be, to be quiet before the Lord, to repent where we need to repent, and then to commit to do what God is calling us to do. And we're going to express that commitment by taking communion together. I think commitment is, in some ways, the ultimate picture of obedience. Jesus said, if it is possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. So the team, in a little while, not just yet, are going to begin to, to play over us in the background. And then we're going to take communion together. And I'll ask for the, the people who are helping to come and join me at the front just now.